everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And with us today is a dear friend of mine, Shuli Kaywood, who is the author of the memoir, The Going and Goodbye. It is um, a very proud moment for me to announce that my dear friend Shuli is the author of a book, because she and I are what I would call one of my way back friends. <laughs> We have known each other since, correct me if I'm wrong, Julie, but I think kindergarten. Kindergarten is right. <laughs> a long uh, time. It's a long <laughs> time. And um, I've known Julie so long as her, you know, writing little kind of goofy elementary school stories and um, have really watched her journey to become a published author. So that's what we're here to talk about today. And I'm thrilled to have you. Well, I'm thrilled to be on. I'm very excited and have been excited about this for a while. Yay! <laughs> Yay, well, and for me, it's great to hear your voice because we've been connected on social media for a while now, but this is the first time I'm hearing your voice. Well, see, I know your voice because I've been listening to it for a while, so you sound really familiar. <laughs> You're hilarious. I it's so funny. That. I wouldn't have to yeah. that either. Oh, gosh. So, so Chris and I have a first question, which, you know, I tried to ask Chris, who's like my go-to for bookie questions, and um, neither of us can remember what it's called, the quote at the beginning of a book. I think it's an epigraph. An uh, epigraph. Okay. Of course, okay, I'd say so, that, and then it probably has, is, that's probably not the word, but. Um, I trust you completely, Shelley. Oh, yeah. don't. Uh, I mean, it rings. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big word. Epigram. So, so tell us about the epigraph, epigram that you have at the beginning of your book. So there are several lines that are, come at the end of a poem. It's from Richard Wilbur's The Writer. And. There's actually a little story with that poem, but it's kind of a long story. So Richard Wilbur, I met him when I was a, a junior and I was a senior in college, and I was the head of the literary magazine, and he was the poet laureate at the time, and he came to visit campus, and that's how I got introduced to his work, because he was coming to campus, and I got to show him around, and I was, of course, you know, giddy about the whole thing. So that was my first introduction to Richard Wilbur. And then when I was in graduate school, um, getting my master's degree in journalism at Ohio State, which also is a story in and of itself, because I was not in love with my master's. It was a very good program, but it was not my thing. I wanted to be doing creative writing. And the way that I got through that journalism program was to take creative writing classes. And as, as you know, you could take a certain number outside the department. And so I took any creative writing class I could get my hands on. And in one of them, um, we had to memorize a poem and present it, somebody else's poem. And I picked Richard Wilbur, the writer. And so I consider that poem part of of that time that got me through journalism school because I didn't love journalism school at all. And so it has a lot of meaning for me because I can remember reciting it in front of the class and memorizing it, and I loved it. And I also love the poem's meaning, which is about a father looking at his daughter who's becoming a writer, and he, um, you know, he's kind of, at, the, at, at least from, if you read the whole poem, it's about him looking in on his daughter and she, hearing her outside of her door, and she's, you know, clunking on the typewriter because it was typewriters back then, and he's kind of dismissing it as not so important. And then he, the, the poem goes on. It's a beautiful poem um, about seeing a starling that gets stuck in the house. And he talks about it's get, it gets stuck in a room and it bashes around the room. And then they go in and lift a window and it gets out. And he is making a metaphor about his daughter, you know, that writing is the way that she's surviving, you know. I mean, 
in a way, you know, that that's, that it's really mm-hmm. important that she write. And so that poem means a whole lot to me. And so I, yeah. we, I was able to use the last um, lines from it and, the, and my publisher had to get permission to use oh, it. Wow. So it was, it was a more complicated, I thought, it, I thought they could just use it, but they had to go about getting permission to use it for the, for the run of copies. And I'm very, very proud to have that poem in there. I love it. It has a lot of meaning for me. As you can see, lots of layers yeah. to that, just yeah. those lines. It's so interesting. I'm always fascinated by the beginning little quote at the beginning of a book. And sometimes if I don't understand the quote, I'm like, oh God, I'm in trouble. Yeah. I can't <laughs> really sets a challenge. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. I, and I think this one definitely piqued my curiosity. Yeah. Oh, and, good. And so I know that you think of yourself really as a poet and there have been times like, I, I know this because I'm your friend that, when you were in that journalism program, you really had wanted to become, you wanted to study poetry and right. you felt becoming a journalist might be, have more job security potentially, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how a poet ended up writing a memoir. That's one of my questions for you. I'd never, so back in the day when I was writing poetry and I still write poetry, I, I've been writing poetry the longest. That's the genre that I'm probably most comfortable in, in so many ways, or at least that I have the longest history with. I started writing poetry in high school and continued on and thought I would get an MFA in poetry. And it wasn't until about, I started attending Antioch Writers Workshop, which is a workshop in Ohio in uh, my hometown of Yellow Springs. Emily's in my hometown of Yellow Springs. And it was probably my second year of doing that that I started to think about writing a memoir. I don't know that I thought about it as a memoir. I actually thought about it in terms of wanting to tell certain stories from my life and, and had questions. I mean, usually a memoir starts with a question. I think mine was, how did I end up where I am today? And, you know, how did I, I get to where I am? In terms of the choices that I've made, why did I make certain choices? And I wanted to explore that and really understand myself. And so that's where I started writing stories. And I didn't go out with a book structure at all. I started writing 500 words a day was my goal. Every morning I would get up and I would just write. It was sort of like vomiting up memories, basically, because I would just <laughs> write anything that came, on, that came into my mind from my memory bank and just put it on the page. Not, I wasn't looking at how I wrote it or anything. It was just putting it all on the page so that I could get the memories down, whatever I thought of from a certain time period of my life. And so I just did that. I probably did that for over a year, just every morning, 500 mm-hmm. words of whatever came into my head from my memory bank. And so this memoir, I mean, I didn't know what I was writing. I was just writing. And then it began to be stories from my life. And then eventually that came into a book. But I, it, a lot of people say when they read my book that they can see that I'm a poet. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I can't see my own writing objectively, but I can imagine if that's true, then that makes sense just because I've been writing poetry for so long. Yeah, I mean, I thought the writing was beautiful, and I'm usually not one to pay attention to that. I'm more of a, a story-driven person than mm-hmm. looks at the words and the language. But there are so many beautiful lines in this book, and I did a lot of underlining. And one of the, like one of them, um, there's a scene where you're talking about going into a shoebox where you've kept mm-hmm. some poems and, and letters and whatnot, and you say, I'll just read the line. I was prone to remember the best and forget the breakups the unanswered calls, the notes that said it's over, notes that could be folded up so tightly they might be mistaken for moths. Mm. I thought, wow. I mean, that's just yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And it, oh, it brings you. to mind so many different feelings and images. I mean, the, 
the tightness of a hard little folded something, the fragileness of a moth. It just harkens so much to the memories that are contained within. Yeah. So I, I think the writing is beautiful oh, without being pretentious. Yeah. You know, that might be too strong of a word. But I, I love this memoir. And for me, it was the first beautifully written memoir that I wish I could form my thoughts a little bit better. But like I said, it, it's beautifully written, but also so heartfelt. But it didn't seem sappy or gratuitous mm-hmm. or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, flip like some memoirs could be. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that's part of poetry is that you have to, you know, it's very succinct. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like what I like about reading books written by lawyers, too. You know, like I think poets and lawyers both are very careful with their words Mm -hmm. and um, have to think a lot about, you know, I mean, I know poets who spend months working on, you know, a poem that might have 15 lines in it, which to me seems very maddening. I mean, I'm glad there are people who are doing it because I enjoy (laughs) reading them. But, you know, so I would say that surely your memoir is like that. You know, the words seem very carefully thought out. Well, thank you. you. It took me quite a long time to to get there. So (laughs) it was not, it was not a short project. I know some people can crank out books very quickly, but it probably took me in total, I mean, from when I started just gushing on the page, you know, my memory bank. It probably took about six years in total mm-hmm. from start to finish. Um, but I loved, I will say I loved writing it. I loved I loved writing itself. I loved how it was helping me figure out things in my life. And probably the biggest gift was figuring out how I affected other people, which I think at the beginning, you know, I think about some harder things that I endured, and they certainly compared to other people are not the hardest things in life at all, but, you know, some heartbreak and difficult times. And when it concerned other people, for example, when I went through some of the memoirs about my going through my first marriage and subsequent divorce, I think there was a tendency at the beginning to be looking more at flaws of other people, and I think it helped me look more at my own flaws and how I might have hurt them in some way, hurt the people that I did end up hurting or that, you know, we ended up not together. So it helped me a lot in that sense, see things from other people's perspective. Um, I I can't say that I didn't at all, but it helped me to do that a lot better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and you did a great job investigating how your issues or your your love system, I think you called it at one point, how the imperfections of yours, you know, they sync up really, really well with your ex-husband, but in that negative way, you know, Mm -hmm. your need for closeness and his need for distance and adventure and, and just how heartbreaking that is. And I think that is such a, a common experience that a lot of us have in our younger years is finding somebody we love, but we just, our love systems do not sync up in the healthy way true <laughs> that leads to like a you know long-term happy relationship right which true. is practice for future good luck exactly which is, which is right you know yeah. wonderful and that's the thing about this book that i love it's like taking the time to figure out your system mm-hmm. not not that you're mechanical in any way i don't mean to yeah. make no, it no 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 that's like what i call it my system of love yeah. um mm-hmm. yeah. needed some tinkering and i yeah many years to tinker <laughs> All of ours do for sure, I think. So what I'm interested, I'm always interested about this with memoirists. Like, I know that you changed some names of some of the people in your life. But did you also have conversations with any of these people or pass any of it by them? Or 
Did you just kind of put it out into the world and hope that, you know, everyone would be okay with it? That's a great question. Um, So I did run it by, I used to have a chapter about my father, and I ran it by him, and I ended up taking it out. He was fine with it, but I ended up, for other reasons, it just didn't fit in with the shape of the memoir. But the the per, I, I always say that I have I have minor characters in the book, but the, the four main characters are myself, and my ex husband, my former boyfriend, and my current husband. Um, and in the book, uh, Robin Matthew are those are not their names, but that's what I call Robin Matthew. And then Preston is the name of my husband; that's his real name. And I did run the whole book by him. I had a, when I got a book contract. I said to him, before I say yes, you need to read the whole thing and make sure you're okay with it. Not only how he was portrayed, but just, you know, I'm saying all this stuff about my personal life, and if you're not okay with it, then I'm not going to do it. It's not worth my marriage <laughs> to, do, mm-hmm. to do this book. And he just had never read any of it. So he sat down, and he read the whole thing, and was fine with all of it. There was nothing that he wanted mm-hmm. me to change. He is the one person that I would have changed or not done the book for. The other two main characters, um, Rob and Matthew, I did not get their permission. Um, I'm not in touch with Matthew, my former boyfriend at all. Um, we, he very nicely um, asked me many years ago for us not to have contact anymore. And so it sounds horrible, but it was I understood it, and I promised him I never would contact him. And so I wouldn't even for the book. I don't. He's not a type of person who's probably ever going to Google me or look me up just because of who he is. And so I, I will call honey, but I'm going to write a book about you. Yeah. So I am 99.9% sure he'll never know about the book, never read it, but I'm also right. okay with him reading it if he does. I, right. I, I tried to visualize or imagine how it would feel for him to read it or for Rob to read it. And Rob, I, 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 we were not in contact. We hadn't been in contact for eight years when I got the book contract and signed the book contract. But there's a lot of talk in, when you're going through workshops in my MFA program um, with how to treat characters in your story. You know, they're real people. They have real feelings. You know, what do you do? And there is everything on the spectrum you get advised to do. It's either, you know, screw everybody, publish your book, or you can do the other extreme, which is run everything by them, change whatever they want. And I wasn't comfortable, other than with Preston, changing it or throwing all the whole project away. But I did want my ex-husband to at least have the chance to read it if he wanted to. So mm-hmm. it was funny because we hadn't been in touch in eight years, and I didn't know his email anymore, and I thought, i got to figure out how to get in contact with him. And it's the strangest thing, but probably two or three days after that, he contacted me on my blog, through my blog. I have a, web, I have a writer email that I post on my blog, um, on my website, rather. And he found it and contacted me. It was just the strangest, <laughs> strangest thing to get it when I was thinking I needed to contact him, mm-hmm. especially after eight years of not you know, having any communication, not because we were enemies, it's just because we don't have children. We didn't have anything to be in communication over. At any rate, he said he'd, I have, I had had a few blogs that I'd written over the last couple of years about him thinking he'd never read them and that he was also <laughs> never on my site. And he was, and he said, he was very nice about it. He said, it was a little strange, you know, having read about myself online, but it's fine. I'm happy you're doing what you're doing. It's a very, very nice email. And I was thinking, well, I not only wrote a few blogs about you, but I also have a whole book, <laughs> which is a big character. <laughs> Hello, you know, welcome to my world again. And so I 
but I told him, I said, I, if you want to read it, I'm not asking you to read it, but if you want to read it, I'm happy to send, send it to you. And he said he wanted to read the chapters with him in it. And I was going to send him the whole thing, but it sort of felt like sending your diary to somebody. It felt a little funny mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. So I said, how about this? And this is all through email. We actually still have not spoken on the phone, but it was all through email. And I said, how about this? I'll send you a chapter at a time, and you can have whatever reaction. We can have whatever conversation about it, and then I'll send you in the next chapter. And so we started doing that, and it was, it was lovely. It was probably one of the best – it is the best gift I've gotten from this memoir is having those conversations through email with him about things that had happened to us. And, you know, we went through marriage counseling together, and this was way better than marriage counseling because we both – you know, it's now, I don't know, 15 years out and 16 years out. I can't remember how long we split up. But it was 2001, so whatever that is. And, of course, we have a lot of – you, you see things so differently from, you know, this many of years course. away and can be more forgiving yeah. and apologetic about all the things you did wrong. And he was, you know, I mentioned him in the um, acknowledgments because he was very kind and gracious through all of it and never once asked me to change anything. Sometimes he would say, like, I don't really like this. And I would say, <laughs> but is it fair? And he would say, yeah, it's fair. So he yeah. was more of a champ than I would have been if somebody had written a book about me. I would have been like, no, don't say that. Much easier to be in your position than his. That's yeah, it was. I give him so much credit. He was he was really, I mean, I couldn't have asked for it to have gone any better, and he was just great. It's an all credit to him. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. But And how ironic how the whole, you know, communication began with yeah. him, kind of, you know. So. Yeah, that's well, wonderful. Worked well. Yeah. They say be careful when you're dating or married to a writer. You I know. <laughs> I did a I did an um an interview by you know like a a website I had published an essay and they they did an interview not a recording but a written interview and I forget somehow it came up about memoir and I said my poor ex husband like I just feel sorry should have never married a writer poor thing. Yeah. So. Well, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book, I, I have, this is just one of my little things when I'm reading. I love when the title of a book is revealed. And I feel the same, you know, like when you're reading the book. And I feel the mm-hmm. same way about the title of chapters. I'm always kind of fascinated how people, how authors title their, some title their chapters, some don't. You know, they're just numbered. And all of your chapters are titled. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering two things about that, just the simple question of how you would decide the titles. And then the second is, is, is it useful to do that? Because do you, did you actually have a process of kind of, you know, these were all essays, essentially. It wasn't like you were doing a linear writing of a book from beginning to end. So did you, was that helpful in the sense that then you would move the, the chapters around to kind of find the best format of the book? Right. So they... Uh... A lot of these started out as individual um, pieces on their own, standalone. And, of course, as, the, as it shaped into a book, that changed, you know, where I took out some things that if you weren't reading it as standalone pieces anymore, that would change. And, but one of the things that did remain were, were the titles. And I like titles in a, in a book um, in terms of chapters. I like that it gives you a little focus. And um, with each chapter, this doesn't have anything to do with titles, but with each chapter, I, it did help me move them around to structure the book so that there was a link from one to the next, even if it was more subtle, but that there was some link from one chapter to the next that kind of brought you to the next part of the story. So I hope that the titles helped with that. Did I answer your question, Em? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't pay too much attention to the titles. Oh, really? See, yeah. I would finish each chapter and then go back and look at the title. 
mm-hmm. because it was like, oh, right, this makes sense. But that's yeah. just, it's one of my little things. I mean, yeah. when I'm reading, I don't know why I enjoy that, but I do. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, I just kind of compulsively read it. I really enjoyed it. And it was it was funny. In part, surprisingly yeah. so. Yeah. That sounded bad. That was not supposed <laughs> to be a negative comment. I'm um, happy it was funny. I don't, well, I, I think I come off as very serious in my writing a lot. And as Emily knows, I can be very, very silly. And, and yeah. I do have a sense of humor. So I'm glad if any humor did come out in it. I'm not sure no, that it's probably, often shows in my writing. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. And we laugh a lot <laughs> together. And actually one of my hopes and dreams as your friend and an avid reader of your work is that you do start writing some comical stuff because you're very funny. And, and, I, and there are... I've read some stories of yours where you've used a lot of comedy, and I love it. So I'm right. hopeful for future. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I do have fiction stories, and I have a few blogs that are definitely on the lighter side and just yeah. kind of well, silly. Well, we'll definitely put your links in the show notes so right. people can find um, your blog and, and all your social media and, and all that good stuff. Great. Um, I want to ask, a little bit, talk a little bit about the cover. Yes. So for one, like thinking, you know, my comment about there is some humor in here, it's a black cover. Mm-hmm. The title is The Going and Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And but the colors, so anyway, it sounds like a really serious title. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like, okay, this is not going to be a light mm-hmm. read at all. Um, but then for some reason, the color scheme, the pink, the, mm-hmm. the fuchsia, the fuchsia, mm-hmm. or shocking pink, whatever. Hot pink. I Hot pink. Like, it, there's something, like, really hopeful about this color combination to me. Mm. I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, there is a story, as there is to most things. There's a story with this, and Emily is a part of that story. So my publisher, who I will give a shout-out to, Platypus Press, they're um, out of England. I love them. I love them. I have loved working with them. They've been great. They gave me four design covers to start with, um, and this was one of them, and the other three didn't look anything like this. Um, they said, if you don't like any of them, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, find, we'll design some others, which was great. And I loved this one, but when I was looking at it, I was actually traveling, and I was looking at it on my phone, and I didn't notice the pink at all. I noticed mm. it was black and white, and I loved it, but I said, it looks like you know, it's going to be about some mass death <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> and, or a murder, or you know, something really dark. And so I loved it, but I just moved on and was trying to work with the other three covers that I thought probably fit it better. But I kept thinking about this one, and I remember when I got home from my travels, I called up Emily, and we were talking about it, and I said, I love this cover, but I feel like I can't pick it. Like, it doesn't match my story, because my story is not about mass death. <laughs> so she took a look at it, and she said, I love the cover, and she pointed out the pink to me, which I had missed um, mm. by looking at it on my phone, and she said, no, I think, and she said, I would have the pink come out more, see if they can, because it was, a, I think, if I remember, you might remember better, Emily, but I think it was a lighter pink, you know, it was just not as yeah, fuchsia kind of yeah, and I said, try to, like, have them really make the pink broad and bold. And then right. I can't remember if it was on the spine or not, but I definitely like the spine. Because I, I think it was, and I said, you know, when, I when it's on 
itself, you know, spine out, people will see the pink. Yeah. You know? I, I yeah. think they added that, if I'm not, if my memory is correct, I think they added that. I think we were just seeing the cover, and Emily was so sweet, and to any of her um, readers and listeners who helped, I remember you sent it to several people you're friends with who are avid readers to get their opinion to see what they yeah, thought of it, and I really bi-coastal, appreciated it. Bicoastal book group, and I sent it to my bicoastal book group, bookies because they're big readers, and they all gave an opinion, and, got, got, and I sent each of the opinions separately to you. Right, and that was huge help. And so then I worked with my with the publisher, and, you know, they're very – if you look at their website, one of the reasons that I even looked at them to begin with or was interested in them is they have beautiful book covers. The, they just uh, – yeah, their aesthetic is wonderful, and I really loved it. And so that's how we came up with this – well, they came up with this book cover. I really had nothing to do with it other than I just was in love with it. I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. I just said I love this book cover, and I really wanted it if at all possible. And um, with Emily's tweaking and some feedback, we were able to do it, and I, I love it. I, one of the goals for my book, my first book, which was this book, was to love the finished product and to be able to hold it in my hands and feel proud of it and that I love looking at it. And I, I do. I still, I'm in, absolutely in love with this cover. Yeah, it's a great cover. It's, it's so it's strong. And it makes me feel good to look at it, even before I read it. Yeah, it made me feel good to look at it. You know, and this could be a, a kind of a psychological thing. My, I had a friend who had a sweater that I loved mm-hmm. that was black, pink, and white. Oh. And it always made me think of Good and Plenty. <laughs> uh, nice. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Although, you know, it could be the movie theater. Yeah. It could be that psychological connection. But, no, I think it's a great cover. Oh, well, okay. I told I was having a problem because at first, um, Platypus sent us, we should say that Platypus Press sent the book Cougar's copy, which was really nice, before the book was officially released, and they sent them both to me, and I had them sitting on my bookshelf, and, you know, I have a lot of books on my bookshelf, but these books, for obvious reasons, my kinship to my dear friend, Shirley, sat, like, in front of all my books on my shelf, (laughs) and I loved having two of them stacked Mm -hmm. on top of each other, and... Surely, would, you know, everyone thought she'd gently prod me, like, so, you know, have you opened the book? You know? <laughs> I haven't heard it yet. I'm really enjoying looking at it on my shelf. <laughs> there would be, like, silence on the other end of the road. Like, you know, the point is actually to read it, you know. Because yeah. um, I had, you know, she kept, and she also kept saying, you, Emma, you've read most of the book. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. But then as I read it, it's true. I had read a lot of it, you yeah. know, at different points over time. But... It was so lovely to just sit down with it and read it cover to cover. And I was really trying to not just read it quickly because mm-hmm. I wanted to just savor it. But you couldn't put it down. Like, I yeah. just couldn't put it down. Oh, yeah. good. did read it quickly. But yeah. enjoyed Thank every – every, so. That's like, a huge I, compliment. I enjoyed how you wove dogs in throughout your story. Mm-hmm. And some scenes were very hard to read. Um, but can you talk a little bit about Kibby? Is that how you pronounce Kibby, yes, Kibby. Your first dog name? Because um, I've seen some pictures on your social media account mm-hmm. of Kibby. Kibby, yes. This week we did our first. Uh, she's been a therapy dog. Um, my husband picked out this particular dog because her breed is known to be good with families and good with kids. And we don't have children, but he owns, my husband owns a funeral home and he wanted a dog that could be a therapy dog for, for the funeral home. So he picked her out, but I had never owned a puppy before. And the two dogs (laughs) that he had when I married him were old and 
perfectly trained and didn't have a lot of energy, and so were easy. We, they were just super easy to be around. And I really had a difficult time with her as a puppy. I look back at the pictures, and she's really cute, but at the time, I really couldn't see it. <laughs> just, I would look at her, and I'd stare at her, and I would think, she's, I'm supposed to think she's cute. I, I just don't see it because I was so annoyed by her, and I didn't know what to do. The first, I remember he picked her up and brought her home, and it was maybe a Friday, and the next morning he says, I'm going to work. He had to work that day. He hadn't told me. And I said, what? So you're leaving me with, I don't know what to do. I really hadn't, it's funny looking back, but I had no, I was like, what am I going to do with this dog? What do I actually, like, just physically, what do I do with her? And so he, I remember he gave me this little Kong toy that you're supposed to put food in and fill it up with, like, peanut butter and freeze it, but we didn't know that. So he put her dry food in there, and, of course, she banged it once, and it fell right out. And I was like, well, that lasted all of two seconds. Now what am I supposed to do with her? What about the rest of the day? And so I just – she was – we had a, a rough first year together. Um, I was always protective of her, and, you know, I would take her on walks, and I would, you know, keep other dogs from her, but – I didn't love her. I didn't give her the love and attention. But as time went on, of course, it talks in the book about how our relationship grew. And we have definitely become thick as thieves. I'm the person who she's around all day. I'm a writer. I'm here other than when I go work at the funeral home. I'm here a lot of the, the time. And so she's probably closest to me. I'm not saying I'm her favorite, but she's closest <laughs> to me. I'm definitely not her favorite, but she's very, very close to me and will follow me around the house. And we're very, very close now. Well, and, you know, just a little newsflash, I have two children, Rachel and Jacob, and there were many days when I looked at them and said, what am I going to do with them all day? So, <laughs> <laughs> I never up, I don't ask myself that question anymore, but there were days when, you know, I remember specifically days when it would be breakfast at 7 in the morning and Rachel would look at Jacob and say, Jacob's looking at me. Uh-oh. <laughs> It's not going to go well. So, you know. My sister and I used to do that. My mother would say, is this the kind of day we're going to have, girls? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, my, my mom grounded me one time, and it lasted for maybe a half hour. <laughs> She's like, get out. Get out of the house. Get out of the house. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Some some authors will answer this question and some authors object to this question, so let us know how you feel about it. But I'm wondering if you'd be willing to tell us what you're working on now. Oh, I'd love to. That's an honor to be asked that. I am working on finishing up a short story collection. I've been working on it, well, for the last couple years, but more, I've been more focused about it over the last year. And it's a short story collection, and it's if you if you read the going and goodbye, you're not going to be surprised. It's about relationships, so it's all I think all of them are in a romantic relationship of some sort. And I really I've always been interested in couples and how they work out things and work out the crises that happen in their lives, and, or the choices that they have made and when they don't mesh together. And so I have this. Uh, short story collection about couples, and it actually kind of goes to the decades. I have um, a couple in there, I think it's in the late 40s, early 50s, a couple in the early 70s, a couple in the 80s, and then the rest take place in our more modern, you know, since 2000 or late 90s, and goes up into the current time. And one of the um, pieces in there is a novella, and I'm not sure whether I'm going to keep that in a um, as a separate you know, publish try to publish it on its own or make it longer, which I'm not really keen on doing, but make it into a novel. 
and then just keep the short story collection separate. But it's a short story collection, and I have loved writing short stories. It's actually really freeing to not have to stick to the truth about anything. And so there are only two of those stories that are really came from my life, and even those two stories are not true to my life because they don't have to be. They're fiction, so the characters have a life of their own. And um, it's been really, really fun to write fiction. I've loved it. May I ask a question about the story? Sure, of course. Yes. I'm curious about the time periods that you set some of the stories in. Are they related to just time periods you're interested in, or do they really speak to relationship challenges that might be specific to those time periods? So whenever I start writing a story, I never know ahead of time why things are when they are. So for example, the story that that happened in the late 40s, early 50s, I didn't think, oh, I'm interested in it. I just, that's where they appeared. <laughs> so okay. that, you know, there is no, it's just whatever comes into my head. And I, I usually start with what comes into my head typically at the beginning is a character and a problem. And then I, I figure out, they tell me along the way what time period is. And, and so certainly with that one, there are um, social codes of the day that end up that's part of the culture of the time. They're all in the U.S., but that would be different if it were set now. You know, some moral codes and social, the culture at the time that do have an effect on, like one of them is about a miscarriage and how miscarriages are handled now is so different than how it was then. But I wasn't, I didn't start out thinking, oh, this is set here. I'm going to explore this. So that's how it happens. I never think ahead of time. It's just sort of how it appears and when they appear and they sort of show me what time it is in terms of history. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. But I also think it'd be interesting for the listeners to hear about you. You um, recently finished an MFA program, which was quite an accomplishment. Um, You had some health challenges in the middle of it and still persevered, which as your friend was very um, amazing to watch. But you also had a very interesting epiphany about your writing in the middle of your MFA. I did. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> what was my epiphany about my writing? <laughs> Let me remind you. You entered um, as a straight nonfiction writer. Oh, true. Yes. Right? And then I did. in the middle of the you had a desire to focus on some fiction, right? Right. That, it, was that the epiphany? Yes. That's, yeah. Was that the epiphany or is there more? Yeah. <laughs> I can talk about that, but because you had always been a not straight nonfiction writer, really. True. I only wrote I wrote short stories in junior high, and then I didn't. After that, I moved on to poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was I was halfway through my program, and no, I was just actually in the beginning of my program. Now that I think about it, I was um, six months into my program, and it was summertime when we had a little bit more time to write, and you know there weren't as many deadlines for things, and I was. I kept getting stuck, writer's block, whatever you want to call it. And the way that I would get unstuck was I would, I would, I would just suddenly write a short story, which I hadn't done since sixth grade, seventh grade. But that was my way of getting unstuck. I would at least be writing something, and I was really enjoying it. I was having a great time. And so I thought, well, why don't I try studying fiction as well? In my program, you have to apply for a certain genre because you're sending in samples of your work to get into the program. And I had, I had submitted for creative nonfiction and got in and was in the program. So to do another genre, you had to then send a writing sample again of mm-hmm. your new work. And I didn't have much. I probably had written four stories by the time I applied. And my director um, was the one looking over the applications, and he you know, said, 
I could study fiction. I was able to get in um, with my fiction, which was great. You know, fiction and creative nonfiction are very, very similar in terms of the techniques that you use, you know, setting of a story, developing a character, dialogue. Um, So all of the skills and craft are very similar. The difference is, the huge difference is, are that in creative nonfiction you have to stick with the truth. Um, well, you're supposed to. Now, whether authors do that, I don't know, but I, I was taught that you were supposed to um, stick with the truth. And the other thing is that reflective voice is a big part of memoir, where you're saying, this is how I saw it then, this is how I see it now, where that's not really often a part of fiction. Fiction is more mm-hmm. not necessarily reflection. It's you know the plot and moving the story forward. So that's, those are, in my mind, the two biggest differences. Yeah, so, so you've been enjoying fiction, and I've been enjoying reading your fiction. I've been, I get to, you know, I get, every once in a while, Julie's like, will you do me the favor of reading this story? Well, if I have to, <laughs> let me make time in my busy schedule to read a fantastic story by you. Okay. <laughs> you are so sweet. You've, I, I really consider it subjecting you to it, but I'm happy that you don't think of it that way. And you even read the novella, which was quite long. Um, so that was just not a few minutes out of your day. You read the whole thing, which I really appreciated and gave me great feedback on it. So. It's such a challenge to be your friend, Julie. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so we like to ask people um, what they're currently reading, and I wanted to add a little a little spin on that question with you. It could be, you know, anything you literally currently have on your nightstand that you're reading, but I also would be interested to know who your favorite poets are, who, you know, or in general, if there's someone that you're enjoying reading now. I was just reading Mary Oliver again this morning. Um, mm. She is definitely one of my favorite poets. I love her work. I feel like it's very accessible. She's known as a nature poet, and I guess I feel like I connect with that. But even her poems that are not so nature-specific, like she has this poem called Thirst. It is one of my favorite poems about her looking sort of at the end of her life and figuring out what she, you know, not knowing what's going to happen when she dies and wanting to work on her faith, for lack of a better word. And it's one of my favorite poems. It has nothing to do with nature, although she does mention some some outdoorsy stuff in there. But um, So Mary Oliver probably right now is one of my very, very favorite poets. I read a book recently by Ada Limon. She's actually a teacher, a professor at my, in my MFA program, in, um, which is the Queen's University in Charlotte. I never took a class or a lecture from her, so I've seen her from a distance but never actually spoken to her or heard her speak, but someone said, you have to read this book of poems, and I did, and they were wonderful, really, really wonderful. And it's hard for me to like a whole book of poems. I typically will like one or two of a poet, but not the whole book. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I would say those are the two poets that are off the top of my head in terms of poets. I have a book in front of me I have just started to crack that is not a book of poetry, but you asked what I'm currently reading. It's Mandy Len, and I am, well, apologize to you, Mandy, if you listen to this. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's Catron or Catron. It's C-A-T-R-O-N. It's a book that just got released, How to Fall in Love with Anyone. She, I wrote a blog um, a few years back about somebody I met who had gotten a, a modern love 
essay published and then so was able to get a book deal. And I met this woman in the grocery store. This is not Mandy. Somebody else. And so she said, we were talking and she said she was working in a book. I, I didn't know she had been published in Modern Love. And she said, and I said, oh, I was working in a book. And she said, well, who's your publisher? And at the time I said, I don't have a publisher, do you? And she said, yes. And she said she'd gotten her book publisher by just publishing a Modern Love essay. She thought about something, it had a story from her life, and someone said, oh, just write that up. But she wasn't a writer you know, not a regular writer. And so they said, just try to get that published in Modern Love. And she said, I did. And so I got a publisher. They'll come to you. Just all you have to do is get published in the New York Times, you know, in Modern Love. And I was writing on the way home with my husband from the grocery store after having met her. And I was like, oh, that's all I have to do. Just get published in Modern Love. It's so easy. You know, I'll just go home and do that right now. But of course, I read her essay. It's, and it's not this author, but it, it was a beautifully written essay. So if she wasn't a regular writer, she should have been, and she had a lovely book come out. But Mandy's story is very similar. She had a a modern love essay that was a huge hit. And I think it might have had the same title as the book, How to Fall in Love with Anyone. If not, it's a very similar title. And so I'm in a Facebook private group with, um, it's called Binders of Women Memoirists or Binders of Memoirists, but it's for women who've written memoir. And so we've connected that way. And um, I've messaged her a few times and we've had a little bit of communication, but I'm excited to read her book. Our books obviously came out right around the same time and hers is also about relationships. So I'm really, I've just read the introduction or preface, whatever it is. And that was wonderfully written. So I can't wait to dig into the rest of it. That's great. Well, I'm an avid, the modern love section is for those of you who don't know, it's in the Sunday style section of the New York times Sunday paper. And I'm an avid reader of the modern love essay every week. And I'll never forget the phone call I got from Shuli. It probably as she was in the car, leaving the grocery store after that conversation. (laughs) I have a newsflash for you. Someone just told me at the grocery store, all I have to do to get published is, you know, submit an essay to the modern love section of the New York Times. And then so I'll easy. be all set. Free ride. <laughs> so easy. Yeah, I don't even know what, it's like half of 1% or probably even less than that that they accept. So it's very, and I have tried, but without any success. And that's okay. Isn't, isn't that also, am I, correct me if I'm wrong, don't they not even um, tell you you haven't been accepted? It's like you apply and if you're lucky you hear back. Is it that sort of thing? No, that's the New Yorker. <laughs> and, and I have experience with that too. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes every once in a while the New York will throw you a bone and send you the you know regular rejection letter that is not even Dear Shuli Kaywood, it's just Dear Writer, Sorry, we didn't take you. When you get that, you feel really good because other times you just don't hear anything. It's it's if you haven't heard from them in 90 days, just forget it. But every once in a while, like I said, they throw you a bone. You get your little regular rejection that everybody gets, and you think, I'm, making, I'm taking a step forward. This feels good. <laughs> but no, Modern Love does send you an actual rejection letter. It's okay. not. I don't think it's, well, mine haven't been tailored. I can't speak for anybody else's. I'm sure there are others who have gotten a very tailored, personalized rejection letter, but I have not. All right. Well, did you? is there anything we haven't asked you that you wanted to make sure that people knew about or hear about your book? Not that I can think of, but I'm just really happy that you all invited me on and were willing to have me on the program. I'm very honored, and it's just great. I'm very, very happy. So thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure. It's really nice. It's a memoir that will stick with me for a long time to come, and and one that I can imagine reading again for the beauty of the language. Yeah, I agree. And Mm -hmm. you know me. I'm not a big Mm rereader, but I agree. It's beautifully written, truly. And, um, you know, just 
such congratulations to you. I've been along with you on this journey. And, you know, as an avid reader, sometimes I forget, you know, that there's a writer in a room somewhere toiling away at each of the words on the page. And it's not an easy task. And it's been a real treat to be with you on the ride. So thank you for being my friend. And I'm proud of you for writing this amazing memoir. Thank you. It was a a labor of love. I really enjoyed it. But I wasn't sure that it would ever get published in that is really the truth. I didn't know if it would ever get published, but I was going to try at least, and I wanted to at least make it a good effort. So I'm very Mm -hmm. grateful to Platypus Press and grateful to you all for having me on. Thank you. You're welcome. welcome. And and what we'll do in the show notes also is let people know how you can find the book. So again, bookcougars.com, and we'll have all the different ways that you can um, get a copy of Shirley's book. Now, before we say goodbye, I want to hear a little story about young Emily and young Shirley. (laughs) I don't remember this story. My mother remembers it, that when she came to my birthday party when I was, must have been like first grade or something, that she wore a little suit. (laughs) It looked like a little business suit over and I... That's, I mean, that's definitely Emily. She's always been an entrepreneur, a business person, just that. She was um, in high school. She worked at a restaurant in town, and she would get up at the crack of dawn to go to that. She was just very dependable, responsible, hardworking. She's a Capricorn all the way. That's, that's <laughs> Emily. Do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you don't want me to tell the story about us buying wine coolers. <laughs> so I'll leave that out when we were underage. I'll leave that out. That's, that's, that's for when you have your next book and you're on. That's we'll right. Listeners waiting. <laughs> Such rebels we were. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, thank you so much for being on the Book Cougars. We love you. Love you too. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Book Cougars with Emily Fine and Chris Wallach. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Book Cougars. Please consider leaving us a review on whatever app you use to listen to us. It can help other listeners find us. Thank you. (laughs)